0: Good evening, everyone. It's good to be back with you this evening. Uh, it's good to always be with you here in Somerset, and I'm uh, glad that I've had this opportunity, these opportunities to uh, spread God's Word and, and to open God's Word in front of you all and to uh, discuss the things that we discussed this morning in Bible class and at lunch and uh, in between services, and it's been just a edifying day to be with you here in Somerset. I just wanted to let you know that. This, this evening we'll be talk, talking about a topic that, uh, unbeknownst to me, it seems that you all have been talking about in your Bible class on Sunday morning. And what's funny about that, I guess great minds think alike or something or another along those lines, because we're going over the same exact book by Brother Rogers in our Bible class at home. And so I thought, well, you know, it. I, we've been going through this Bible class, and why don't I just do a sermon on virtue, because I have this you know, material in front of me, and it'd be good to... You know, look. These things are fresh on my mind, and maybe maybe they haven't looked at these things in a while, and maybe I would be able to bring these things to them to their remembrance. And it seems to me that you all may have a really good understanding of this this uh, this topic, but we'll go over it again uh, just for your your and my benefit, and uh, uh, just so we can refresh our minds on virtue and what virtue is—biblical virtue. And I I put put down there building a conscience. You know, I. Um, We've heard the phrase, you know, when when someone is saying, you know, well, uh, you think so-and-so is going to do do this action, and and someone will say, well, unless they grow a conscience, I don't think so. And what, you know, that's kind of a a slang term for they don't really have any morals or they're not, they're going to do the wrong thing in this situation. And so on the flip side of that, having a conscience, a conscience that is built on biblical virtue, uh, we will... We will be able to do what is right, as we'll see here in a minute. So, what is virtue? Virtue is an intense desire to do the right thing. And why, why is virtue important? Let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who had received the faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence or virtue, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. And I won't go through all the rest of the, uh, as they're called, Christian graces tonight, because I want to focus on what my Bible says, moral excellence. But I like the word virtue a little bit better here, just because it's more of something that uh, we may uh, uh, tie to this this attribute that Peter's trying to, to get to here. And virtue is just an intense desire to do the right thing. Uh, you know, I, th- I think about uh, there are multiple characters in the Bible that we're going to be talking about tonight and how, how they d- demonstrated this intense desire. Uh, but from this passage, we can see a couple things about, how, about what virtue is and that the first thing we have to have before we can have virtue is we have to have faith. We have to know who God is to some extent. We have to believe in God before we can... Desire to please him. And so let's look over at another passage here in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 17. Second Peter 3 and verse 17. It says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away, carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, in this passage, we see that if we desire to be uh, to be growing, to d- to do what's right, to be on guard so we're not carried away, we will grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord. And so, without us, uh, before we can obtain knowledge, which is the next step to partake of the divine nature that Paul that Peter talks about here in chapter one, we need to have a desire to do what's right. We have to have a desire to know. What the right thing is to do, and it's also a uh, key to self-control and perseverance, as we see here in First Peter uh, or Second Peter, chapter one. Turn over with me to First Corinthians, chapter nine. First Corinthians, chapter nine. First Corinthians, chapter nine, and verse twenty-four is where we'll begin here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, then do it to perceive a per- or, then they do it to perceive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others myself, I will not be disqualified. So why is Paul running this race? He's running this race to win, as it says in verse 24. We're running this race because of the, the end goal, because we love God, because we seek to pursue God. So it's, a, it's not just a, a key in obtaining knowledge, but it's also a key in self in, uh, fostering self-control and perseverance within us, because we want to win the race that God has Set before us. So, how do we obtain virtue? Uh, turn over to First John chapter three. First John chapter three. In First John chapter three and verse nine, it says, "No one who is born of God practices sin." because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who is not practiced righteousness is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. So if we're if we're a Christian or if we're desiring to be a Christian and we're looking to put on virtue in our lives and we realize that we do not we don't have a a good attitude towards sin. We either are indifferent towards it or we accept it and we just move on with there's no desire to not do the wrong thing or to do or a desire to do the right thing regardless of how we feel towards sin we need to stop partaking in it and start doing the right thing now I think it's just something important for for those uh, of us who are those of uh, Christians who struggle with a certain sin or that uh, have have problems with a certain sin that well I just they, they say well I just I can't Help myself or I don't feel bad when I partake in this sin anymore because I've I've seared my conscience. And so even though your conscience is seared, you should tr- make every effort uh, to not do that sin anymore. So let's look at the next things to how to obtain virtue. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. In verse 8. Casse chapter 3 and verse 8, it said, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for, for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned, so uh, Paul writes Titus here and says, "If you want to obtain virtue, do good things, do good works. Look to do things that help other people. Look to do things that further the the, the cause of Christ, further the cause of God." And I think that sometimes we think, "Well, if we just if if we uh, if we're doing stuff, we're not we're not learning anything, and we're not growing at all. We're not." Uh, Becoming more like Christ, and I I think that's a uh, an inaccurate statement, because there's a lot of times where uh, I'll go and do something, maybe that's a secular work, like changing someone's light bulb or you know uh, mowing someone's lawn, and we'll get to talking about spiritual things that are just coming up in conversation. And so, even though the the act that we may be performing is not in spiritual in nature per se, but it, it gives us an opportunity to spread the gospel. give gives us an opportunity to desire to do what God wants us to do. And the third thing here is seek to seek the Lord is, is one of the ways we obtain virtue. Turn over to, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says there, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So if you truly want to desire to do the right thing, if you want to be someone that uh, when, when the opportunity rises to do the right thing, you do it, and when the opportunity ra- may rise to do the wrong thing, you don't do it, draw closer to God. Been time in the scriptures uh, you know I think about the first psalm where it says the uh, uh, the man of or the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord he's thinking about it all the time you know I, uh, the uh, preacher back home at, in Bowling Green often says that you know uh, when it talks about David uh, thinking about the song the, the things that, that he was thinking about while he was out you know herding uh, the sheep he didn't didn't have a, a big, you know, they didn't have a book like this back then, right? So he had to re- memorize all those verses, you know, when he was out in the field and contemplating God's word. And so uh, he, was, he was delighting in it. He was taking the time to memorize it and to think about it, not just when he had the book in front of him, but when he was at work or wherever he was, and that we should be the same thing as well. Turn over to Colossians 3. We'll see another example there. Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things in the above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So if we want to be virtuous, if we want to obtain the things that Christ wants us to obtain excuse me I didn't I forgot it was right there the microphone was there uh, draw closer to God draw closer to Christ and keep our mind focused on those things push continue to push our thoughts away from sinful lusts and desires and more and more towards uh, where God wants us to be thinking about him and how we can further his kingdom another way that we can obtain virtue is to Remember, Christ's sacrifice. Turn over to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five and verse six. And I, I, uh, I love this passage when we talk about the Lord's Supper because it reminds me of how much Christ's sacrifice mean, means to me and every Christian who has had their sins forgiven. It says in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God to come through him. (coughs) For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, in the Bible class this morning, we were talking about uh, about uh, spiritual nearsightedness. And, you know, uh, I think about uh, in my own life when, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with my parents when they don't know how to work the TV correctly. Or they'll call me and say, well, how do you use this app? It doesn't look like what you're showing me, you know. And I'll get frustrated because for me, it's so easy, right? And uh, so, you know, so often do I forget that when I was young I was pretty difficult to deal with when I was, you know, a little kid who didn't understand or didn't listen. And it's the same way with us here. We forget sometimes that, you know, Christ didn't have to die for us. He didn't have to uh, live a perfect life. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done anything he wanted to do, but he came to this earth and suffered and died for each and every one of us, even the worst of us, spiritually. And so when I think about that, it, it reminds me that I need to be virtuous, that I need to desire to do the right things. And we, we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. You know, I think if we kept that in the forefront of our mind, it, it would be a lot harder to commit those sins in private that, that we may do, or even those that we do around our friends that may be from peer pressure or whatever, whatever reason we may sin, it, may, it this would make it a whole lot more difficult when we remember the magnitude of the sacrifice that God made for us. So as we get to the second half of the sermon, I would like to just do a couple examples of virtue, and then the lesson will be yours. Turn over to Genesis chapter 39. Um, this is the the story of Joseph, and I know Joseph is one of my favorite biblical uh, people uh, that... that lived in, in the patriarchal dispensation. And I, I love Joseph because, one, he was relatively young and, and he went through a whole lot of hardship and yet he did not forsake God. And so just some context for those that may not uh, be as familiar with the story as some of us are, that Joseph was sold into slavery and it is in Egypt, far away from his home, far away from anyone that knows God. And he... Uh, has become successful into, uh, as a servant. He's become you know, the master servant uh, over, his, uh, over the, the person that owns him's house. And so he's, he's in this position of, of power to some, some degree. And at this time, his, the master's wife comes to Joseph and uh, wants to commit adultery with him. And this is Joseph's response in verse 9. He says, therefore, there is no one greater in this house than I. And he who the master of this house has withheld nothing from me except you, his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Do you think Joseph had some virtue about him with that response? You know, the desire to do the right thing, even when every opportunity was there to do the wrong thing. Um. Just like I stated before, he was away from anyone that would know that he would be sinning. Uh, you know, it may have been something that was common in that time in Egypt. I don't, I'm not a philosopher on Egyptian, uh, uh, you know, morals and that sort of thing at that time. But, you know, he was somewhere where if, if he did this thing, you know, quote unquote, if he was a... a, a, a a typical person of that time you know his God was in it was in Israel it's not here in, in Egypt um, or with his father over in, in Canaan where he was at at this time and so uh, but but Joseph knew better Joseph knew that God was the God that created everything he wasn't a regional god that these Egyptians worshiped and so he had virtue about him to not sin here and then later on you know she she caught him again you know wanting to commit adultery and he ran away. And uh, so he, he had this um, this desire to be virtuous, this desire, intense desire at all costs to do what God wanted him to do. The second uh, person in the Old Testament, Joshua, is another one of my favorites. Uh, of course, we could also uh, look at what he did in Deuteronomy where this, he's one of the ten spies that go out and serve the land and, and him and, and Caleb come back and say, we can take it you know, with the power of God and the other spies say we can't because these men are, are really big and, and strong and we we're, you know, we're so small. And, they're, you know, these other men other than uh, Joshua and Caleb are, are looking at things from a physical level and not a spiritual level. Uh, but but Joshua and Caleb are steadfast in that they can take the land. And so that's what causes them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And you can see this... Uh, in, in, jo- in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua 24 and verse 15. Uh, actually, I'll start in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the God which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served were, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. And in verse, you know, the rest of this chapter basically the the people of Israel that have just conquered the land, they you know they they commit to serving God and and saying that they will serve God while you know uh, while they're able to. And uh, and Joshua you know gives them the warning that if you stop serving God, we will. You will be punished, and and so will we if we do not have virtue. Another character that is very similar to these two is Daniel. Um, in Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter one. So another situation that's very similar to uh, Joseph. Daniel's away in a even farther away uh, potentially than. How far Joseph was away in Babylon, even though it's an opposite direction, right? It's more north than or a northerly direction, and Joseph would have went south to Egypt. But they, you know, they the they brought all these young young men that were, you know, the the intelligent people of the day, those that were, um, you know, of the scholarly class, and Daniel was one of them, along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they were going to bring them into the Babylonian uh, government system, and, and they were going to have to do all these things to make them uh, make them Babylonians, and they you know they change their name. They're going to you know uh, make them eunuchs. They're going to make them basically uh, you know vassals of of Babylon. And so David, or David, I'm sorry, Daniel got David on the brain for some reason. Daniel says in verse eight, or in verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And so you can see this intense desire to do the right thing in Daniel here. That he's in a foreign country, again, where no one would think anything. You know, like, oh, well, Daniel, they'll they'll kill you if you don't eat what the king wants you to eat. They'll kill you if you don't do what the king wants you to do. You know, these people completely destroyed our city. You know, God is not with us anymore. We, you know, we're not uh, in God's favor anymore. He completely destroyed Israel and Judah. So why why even care about God? And Daniel says, no, I'm not going to forsake God. Um, and so in verse 9, because Daniel made that, that up in his mind, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And so, you know... Uh, if we, if we have this purpose in our heart to do the right thing, eventually we'll, we'll get the knowledge and we'll get the self-control and the perseverance and we'll, we'll be able to progress through the, uh, what, what we read in Second Peter and we'll be able to do what God wants us to do and be like God and partake of his divine nature and to eventually, once we pass this earth, if we do what he asks us to do, to be in heaven with him. And the last example I like to look at is Jesus. Which is the ultimate example, and we've already looked at this uh, somewhat in Romans chapter five. But the pers- this perspective is from that perspective would have been more from from Paul or from God's perspective of of losing His Son, um, and this is from Jesus' perspective, where He's praying to God in Gethsemane. Turn over to Matthew chapter twenty-six. Matthew chapter twenty-six, beginning in verse. It says he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And again in verse 42. And again he went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And so even though Jesus was getting ready to do, do something that terrifies you know, everyone, immense pain to go through, crucifixion was not a uh, pleasant thing. I know we all know that, and I can't stress that enough. The, the pain that would be inflicted that you know, your, your feet are nailed, and to be able to breathe you have to push up on those feet. You know, uh, the, they theorized that the way the people would actually die from it was suffocation because they physically could not. If you can't, if you don't push up your feet, you can't breathe in that position. And so, it, it was a very painful thing that Jesus went through. And even before that, he went through so much torture and mockery and uh, abuse from the Romans and from the the Jews that convicted him. And so, Jesus had virtue in that. Even though this thing was going to be terrible, and even though it was something that was not going to be pleasant for him, he was going to do it because it was God's will. And it was to what needed to be done. So let's look at, at our lives and see if we have virtue like Joseph and Joshua and Daniel and Jesus and so many other people that uh, are in the New Testament and Old Testament um, there's just one there's one example that comes to my mind of a friend of a fellow Christian uh, that I know in Bowling Green. We were in a Bible class and we were talking about this topic and he was a smoker. And he he, he said, you know, sin is just is such a similar thing to smoking. You want it, you desire it all the time. And he said, Eventually my desire to not smoke had to be greater than my desire to smoke. And he said, Once that desire was was greater, he said, I never never touched a cigarette again. And I kept feeding that desire to not smoke. I kept, you know, every time I wanted to, to smoke a cigarette, I would think about my kids or my health or my wife. He said it's the same thing with sin. When you want to do the right thing, you remind yourself why you why you became a Christian. And uh, unfortunately, that, that man passed away last week in, in a car accident. And I know where he is because he had virtue. I know I'll see him again, even though... Yesterday was his funeral, and it was bitterly cold out. Um, I know I'll see him again in heaven if I do what's right. And so I just wanted to share these thoughts with you, and if if you're a Christian and you find yourself without a desire to do do the right thing, talk to somebody, talk to me, or talk to someone that you can confide in uh, about your spiritual situation, and let's get that corrected. And if you're not a Christian and you would like to uh, to grow in spiritual and vir- biblical virtue and to know what God wants you to do, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.